Thank you for listening to the Resources for Integrated Care podcast series, promoting disability-competent care during COVID-19. This podcast was recorded as part of a live event held on April 22, 2021. In this podcast, Chris Duff, a disability practice and policy consultant, shares a review of the disability-competent care model. Then, Jose Hernandez, a participant of the United Spinal Association, shares his experiences with challenges related to COVID-19. It is great to be back doing a Disability Competent Care webinar. Since we haven't done a DCC webinar in quite some time, I've been asked to give a brief overview of the DCC practice model. It was originally developed and piloted over 20 years ago by four health plans that targeted dual-eligible working-age adults. In the mid 2010s, we wrote out a detailed description of the model and specific practices. They were subsequently field tested in numerous settings, and we developed and presented over 40 webinars focusing on various components of the DCC model. These can all be found on the Resources for Integrated Care website. The model at its core is participant-centered, delivered by an interdisciplinary team, and focused on maximizing independence as desired by the participant. The team completes a comprehensive assessment with the participant, develops plans to support them in living as they choose at home and in the community. The practices address the individual as a whole, focusing on function, not illness nor diagnosis. The DCC models organized in seven pillars as outlined on this slide. The first pillar describes the necessity of understanding the lived experience of persons with disabilities and their individual and the individual participant in particular. The second pillar describes an approach to participant engagement using a comprehensive assessment as a means to understanding their experiences, goals, and preferences. Without a strong, respectful relationship with the participant, the outcomes desired will not be optimally achieved. Access, the third pillar, focuses on addressing barriers to obtaining care and support. The barriers are physical, attitudinal, equipment, communication, both language and alternative formats, and the navigational and coordination of services. The fourth is timely and proactive primary care, focused on maintaining health and preventing avoidable episodes of illness. The the fifth is care coordination, which is the means to which the participant is supported in developing and implementing their comprehensive plan of care. The art of care coordination is knowing when and how the participant needs support and assistance in getting their needs met. The sixth is long-term services and supports, commonly called home community-based services. Focuses on personal care, durable medical equipment, wheelchair services, housing, and other services and supports needed to function in the community. These are seen seen as the means to avoid institutionalization and maintain as independent a life as the participant desires. Lastly, behavioral health are the services and supports required to address mental health, chemical abuse, and behavioral 
functional needs. The integration of these services into the comprehensive plan of care is vital to the success of the participant to live their lives as they choose. Let me demonstrate the model in Pathos by briefly walking through the initial process. The first step is engaging with the participant by phone or email, explaining that you would like to meet them, get to know them, and conduct an assessment. Preferably before the participant, meeting with the participant, collect and review any background information you can obtain. This first conversation is casual and informal nature. I usually start asking them to tell me a bit about themselves, which will give you a sense of how they view themselves. Proceed to ask about their disability, when it occurred if not at birth, and how it affects their daily life. I proceed to ask them about where they live, who they live with, and those who are important to them. I then ask about what they expect from my work with them. I proceed to work through the assessment, always focusing on function rather than diagnosis. Upon completion, I discuss the services and supports they require and ask if they are wanting to keep their current providers and arrangements for doing so. I try to conclude this first visit by asking when and how they wish to receive support from myself and the rest of the care coordination team. This includes frequency and means of contact. I make sure they know who is on their team, how to contact the team, and who will be their lead contact. With that brief introduction, I will now turn it over to Jose Hernandez, who will discuss the unique issues experienced by persons with disabilities during this COVID epidemic. Uh, hello, um, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you, Jose. All right, good. Um, hello everyone, my name is Jose Hernandez. Um, I just wanted to be clear that I work for United Spinal Association and I experienced a spinal cord injury roughly 25 years ago and utilize 24-hour home care to be able to live independent in the community. So I'm going to share a really personal aspect of me that happened at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, so roughly in March, I live in New York City and we were the epicenter. And one of my home care workers came down with COVID-19 and passed away two weeks after contracting it. Fortunately, I was not um, infected, but that's where my struggle began. I needed to find someone to cover um, when he took off. So uh, I had one home care worker here working seven days a week. I shifted one worker that was working on the weekends to five days a week, and I shared another worker um, with one of my friends. Um, this is possible because I'm also under the consumer directed model and I hire my own personal care attendants. Um, this is a challenge that many individuals with disabilities faced at the beginning of the pandemic and um, workers realized that they needed to be safe so a lot of them stopped working 
or became sick. And they stopped working also and went on unemployment because they could make more money um, with, you know, the COVID relief plans that they were at the mo- at the time. So this created a big hiring challenge. It was three months before I was able to even hire someone, and that process was daunting. Uh, my agency required that I print out a 40-page application, get that um, filled out, and then get it back to them somehow. Uh, and who owns a printer now these days? Everyone does everything on a smartphone. Uh, thankfully, I work a lot from home um, in my normal job, so I had access to a printer and was able to scan it and send it back to them. But even that took a month before my um, worker was able to start. So that's one challenge. Another challenge would be the PPE. Home care agencies um, are required to send gloves because the plans technically in New York aren't, um, they don't pay for PPE or gloves. Okay, do you imagine I'm a spinal cord injury who requires bathing and help with toileting and um, they don't pay for gloves. And now we're in this global pandemic and everyone is required to wear masks, um, gloves, and you know, for overall hygiene and safety. And there was a big scramble to get that to our um, our members or participants. So another big challenge was obtaining COVID-19 um, information in multiple languages. I live in New York where it's a melting pot. In my neighborhood alone, you know, you have English, Spanish, and multiple other languages. So I live in one of the hardest hit areas in the Bronx, and um, we were the last ones to get the information. And the information we got was half information. We didn't know about the shutdown. It, what we knew was what the news was telling us, uh, or whatever was posted on the hallways. No one took the time to explain the severity of the situations. Even I myself, as an advocate, thought that the COVID-19 pandemic was just like the flu and it was going to pass. And I consider myself a highly intelligent person, and it wasn't until my home care worker really passed away where I realized, wow, this is, you know, something really serious. Um, next challenge was accessing health care. At the beginning of the pandemic, no one knew what it was going to look like having appointments. Everyone was uh, afraid. And for myself, I require 24-hour home care, like I stated before. And if I needed an in-person visit, they weren't allowing my home care worker to go with me. Now, if I needed assistance whether to get medication or to get my wallet or even to open a door, they weren't being allowed. So we needed to scramble to make sure that... Um, these places and hospitals and centers knew that home care workers were essential and needed to be uh, allowed in with members and people with disabilities. Uh, another thing that was exposed was the digital divide. 
a lot of individuals with disabilities and the vulnerable don't have access to the internet, computers, or smart devices. So accessing virtual appointments um, was difficult to say the least. Uh, thankfully, the FCC has realized this and working on uh, helping those bridge that gap. Uh, transportation. Even before the pandemic, individuals with disabilities and the vulnerable always have had um, difficulties getting around, but it was really difficult during the pandemic because of the limitations and, and inaccessibility of um, the entire system. So um, when they started handing out the COVID-19 vaccines, it's like, yes, you qualify for the COVID-19 vaccine, but how are you going to get there? So taking that into account. And valuing the lives of people with disabilities. So during the pandemic, resources became really scarce. There was 800 lives being lost every day, and decisions needed to be made. However, unfortunately, people with disabilities were being left out of that equation. They automatically assume because you have a disability, your quality of life isn't going to be the same as that of a person that had, doesn't have a disability. So if you were eligible to get a ventilator, the likelihood that you were going to get it um, was not very good. There was a case in Texas where a nursing home decided not to feed a person because they considered his quality of life not important. Um, next slide. Uh, educating regard, education around the vaccine. In the beginning uh, January of this year, the vaccine rollout in New York was pretty good. You know, they started with you know, essential workers, but somewhere along the line, things got kind of blurred. And they prioritized the economy and businesses over individuals' lives and really needed to educate people how to get vaccinated and the importance of it. So even to this very day, uh, there's people who have language barriers or transportation barriers or just elderly in general, who still haven't been vaccinated. Um, and thankfully, those things are being addressed by having home um, vaccination visits, but still, individuals have to know about it and have access to the internet or a family member that's um, able to make those appointments for, for them. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care. You can also find resources for integrated care on LinkedIn to stay up to date with our recent products and technical assistance.